Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, I wanted to thank you for the following statistics I'm going to read out. Our podcast channels around the world, our episodes have been downloaded over 2 million times. And I believe that's a very conservative number because before we moved on to iTunes, we hosted our episodes on another platform and the downloads were not tracked at that point. In fact, if you look at countries like Singapore, India, France, Hungary, Belgium, even Canada, the UK, Australia, our channels on strategy and case interviews routinely rank within the top 10 for careers. And in fact, in some times of the year, around September, October, we usually jump to number one in many parts of the world. So thank you for making that possible. And because we have such a diverse audience all over the world who have allowed us the opportunity to build these channels and build firms consulting and the rest of the businesses, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to Marketing Saves the World, marketingsavestheworld.com or firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples, previews, and free episodes of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So as you know, FC Insiders is an elite level. It takes you some time to get to that level. And many people ask us for samples and previews and so on. So the only way... The only way to get those previews is to join the list on marketingsavestheworld.com or firmsconsulting.com. And in fact, we have two big offers coming up. As you know, Bill Madisoni's memoir and documentary was done by Firms Consulting. As far as we know, it is extremely rare for a former McKinsey and BCG partner to publish the memoir. So Bill Madisoni was Marvin Bauer's mentee. He became a partner in two years at McKinsey, and he developed McKinsey's leadership strategy, basically the strategy that allowed McKinsey to leapfrog over BCG and Bain by defining McKinsey by its leadership attributes versus its strategy attributes. Now, we're going to be launching a promotion soon, and if you've looked at our prices, you know we are pretty premium. However, we're going to go with very, very accessible pricing so that clients around the world, whether you live in India, Bangladesh, Vietnam, Canada, Mexico, and so on, you can buy this. The special pricing means we're going to price these items for, my guess, is below $20. You will get access to the book and the documentary for that price. And it's a one-self offer. It's not going to happen very often, and it's only available through this list. So go to marketingsavestheworld.com and firmsconsulting.com. Along with access to that special offer, you will also receive sample episodes of our insider content. For example, you could get a sample episode of Competitive Strategy with Kevin Coyne. Kevin Coyne is an ex-McKinsey partner, former worldwide head of strategy, and he had served something like over 25 CEOs on a personal level, on a one-to-one basis over his career. Kevin also has a program called How to Become a McKinsey Partner. It's the first time ever a McKinsey partner has gone on record talking about what is actually required to become a partner and you'll find it's very different from what you think is required. The 21-day programs, which are very, very popular. How to Develop Deep Insights, which I have put together, one of our most popular programs. The Electric Car Startup. You will get sample episodes of all of those programs and more if you sign up to this list. So, that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next Case Interviews and Consulting podcast from Firms Consulting. So we've got a pretty interesting topic for today, something that a lot of clients have asked me to write about once they've discovered we've worked with this client before. And basically, that is a story of how we helped a female client with a 2.1 GPA from a 
American undergraduate program and get into a very prestigious and prominent McKinsey North American office. So today's episode is where I dissect that journey. How did we help her? What did she do differently? And ultimately, what we're hoping to do is to provide those who may be in a similar background some pointers of how to manage this, but also how to know if a weak GPA is an indication that you are weak for consulting and how to know when it is not an indicator that you're not the best fit for consulting. So as always, we'll be quite detailed, telling you what we did and providing you guidance so that you can figure out your own path in. And I think it's important to understand that I do sympathize, and I would say maybe empathize is a better word, with clients who may not be in a position to gain the right kind of mentorship, guidance from their peer network, their university, their families, and so on. And you're sitting there and you're not sure what is the best path forward because there's a lot of information on the internet is not always clear, it's contradicting, sometimes it's wrong. And I know how difficult it is, and I want you to remember that you don't have to give up, and you shouldn't give up. Sometimes without the right kind of information, it may take longer, but it's important that you remember that you know, you've got your whole life ahead of you. It's okay if things take a little bit longer now because you're setting yourself up for a good future down the line. Now, I also realize that we're somewhere around in the 320s for our podcast, which is a, a big milestone. We've released over 320 podcasts for free just on case interviews, which is the biggest podcast channel in the world for case interviews and the most popular for case interviews as well. So let's get straight into the program, and I hope you find it useful. This client belongs to what we call the 80% placement rate. That means firms consulting right now has an 80% success rate of taking clients in our coaching program, and our coaching program drives the whole of firms consulting. So 80% of people that join that program end up at either McKinsey or BCG or Bain. Now, when a lot of people look at that 80% placement rate, they say, well, of course it's 80%. It must be high because firms consulting is so selective. Not anyone can join our program. You go through many interviews, you go through an assessment, and then we maybe make you an offer to join our program. But what people don't understand is that we don't take the strongest candidates. We deliberately pick candidates that have challenging backgrounds and then work with them to place them at McKinsey and BCG and Bain. And that's a big thing. So when you look at these numbers, it's, it's not as if this is easy to achieve. This is a very, very, very complex and difficult number to achieve. It's a difficult number because the kind of clients we work with, you can read the stories, they're all on the website and they're quite detailed. We have the story of Irina who we placed into a McKinsey. She had, when she joined the program, she actually had no undergraduate degree. And we worked with her over five years to place her into the firm. So when you read about the 80% placement rate, it is not because we're taking the most talented candidates. We're taking weak candidates, even in TCO. When people look at TCO and they say, well, Alice got into McKinsey in New York City. She went to Yale. It obviously was easy. It wasn't. She was declined by McKinsey previously. She had an internship at Bain, which they did not convert into a full-time office. So in a sense, she was declined twice before she came into our program. So not only was she declined twice, which means it hurt her confidence, 
it was on the system that she was declined, which makes it harder for her to join again. We work with all of that. So the 80% placement rate doesn't imply that we're taking the best. If anything, it's a rate that I'm quite proud of because we are taking the most difficult candidates and we are still getting high placement rates because of the fact we use only ex-partners to train people and our methods are very different. So let's just talk about this particular candidate, 2.1 GPA, right? This is the lowest GPA ever placed at Firms Consulting. So we've never had a candidate in our program who has been placed into McKinsey or BCG with a GPA of 2.1 or lower. This is the lowest, right? And when I was a partner at the firm, I don't recall ever hiring someone with a 2.1 GPA. The lowest I remember hiring someone was with a 3.5 GPA. And in my mind, I almost saw 3.5 as a rule. Anyone below 3.5, I wouldn't consider them when I was at the firm. So why is 2.1 considered bad? Well, why do we look at this score and reject it? Why would anyone look at this score and reject it? Let's start there and then build out about how we built our program. So when you have a 2.1 GPA, that means in a three-year or four-year undergraduate program at an accredited university, you basically were okay with not doing well. That's what it means. For four years, you looked at your resume, you looked at your grades, and you said, well, I'm okay with it. And one of the things we think about is, well, okay, here's someone who knew their GPA was low, but for four years or three years, they were okay with that. And it makes us wonder about the person, right? Track record. You don't have much of a track record when you are in your late teens, 18, 19, 20, 21, studying for an undergraduate. You don't have much of a track record. We can't take your high school track record into consideration because we don't know the quality of your high school. And even if you went to an extremely elite high school, it doesn't matter. We still can't assess the quality of your teachers or the basis of how you were scored. So it's really your university grades. So when you're very young, your track record comes down to your university degree. So that's the second point. Third one is pride. Are you the kind of person who doesn't take pride with regards to the things to which they attach their name? Fourth thing is proof. We spoke a little bit about track record, but proof is a little bit different. And this links up to the fact that a lot of people tell me, Michael, I had a low GPA, but I could have done better. Great. You had a low GPA, but there's no evidence you could have done better. Maybe you had a job. And I'm, not, I'm obviously not at all in any shape or form belittling the fact that many clients have to work part-time. I understand that. I was very lucky. I had a scholarship when I was young, a very prestigious scholarship, which paid for everything, including clothing and I had friends who worked, so I understand the difficulty there. I know many people who had medical illnesses when they were studying. I know people who suffered personal tragedies when they were studying. So I, I'm not belittling that, but what I am saying is that while that may have caused your grades to fall, we don't know that. Because remember, a lot of people are trying to get into these elite firms, and they, some of them, not the majority, but some of them will try to game the system by providing excuses that are not true. They will. They know that there are some people who truly suffered, and they will use that as an excuse to fabricate a story. But beyond that, even if the story is not fabricated, if a medical reason caused your grades to drop, we still have no evidence that in the absence of a medical condition, your grades would have been higher. Because to assume that grades are only bad because you are working 
or a medical condition or a personal tragedy is to assume that people who don't have those problems will always have high grades. And that's just not true. So 2.1 GPA or low GPA, those are all the things we consider when we look at that GPA. That's what we think about. I have many clients who will tell me about a medical condition, and that's wonderful that you have a reason and you took the time to take care of yourself. But when I'm reviewing the application, I still have no evidence that in the absence of the illness, things would have been different. And there's the flip side of it that within McKinsey and BCG, there are people who climbed over the Berlin Wall, were almost shot at. There are people who survived cancer, all kinds of things who went on to have illustrious careers. They didn't stop them. And you're being compared against that pool, right? So you're going to meet people who have been through the same or worse or similar who didn't let those things stop them. And the firm, whether they say it or not, is always comparing your performance against that. So let's talk about this client, right? 2.1 GPA. I believe she was 24 when she joined the program. An econ major and a literature minor. She went to a non-Ivy arts program, liberal arts program, a very good school. I mean, it's one of the the top liberal arts programs in the United States. So weak in grades, but pretty strong in other areas, I felt. Uh, just by looking at her paper resume, she was a captain of a rugby team, captain of a debate team, and I think class president or something like that. So weak grades, but everything else pretty strong. Her resume is obviously not well written. Well enough written, I think, in the sense that she went to a pretty good school with a good career office and they helped her with her resume but not good. It would not pass our test. And I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Why not? So as I said, a 2.1 GPA implies the person has performed badly. They lack a track record. A 4.0, assuming you have a 4.0 over 4.0 or 5.0 over 5.0 GPA, assumes the person has done well. But here's the way we assess a candidate, which is a little bit different. It's what I call the confidence abilities matrix. So imagine you have two by two matrix, high confidence, low confidence, strong abilities, weak abilities. Abilities are things like grades, technical skill, right? You can just say grade, high grade, low grade if you want. So high, high confidence, low confidence, high grade, low grade. When people have high grades, most times, not always, they tend to be high confidence in nature. Not always, but most times. When people have weak grades, they tend to lack confidence. Again, not always, but most times. But there are also other issues with people have weak con who have weak grades. They tend to be apologetic in nature. They tend to feel as if their weak grades is a black mark on their resume. They tend to feel they're unworthy. It's almost when I speak to them, they say, Michael, I'm just looking for someone to give me a chance. They're looking for favors. They seek forgiveness. That's the characteristic of people on average who have weak grades. But then you get two anomalies on this matrix. You get people with high grades who lack confidence. I've seen them. They're not uncommon. They have very good grades, but they don't think they can get into these elite firms. And forget about elite firms, but just be successful in life in general. It's more common than you think, actually. Common amongst females, common amongst minorities. I would say common amongst everyone, even amongst Caucasian clients as well. But the segment I'm particularly interested in is the one where you have low grades but high confidence. 
So when you speak to the person, they know they had weak grades, but they just say, well, I decided not to focus on my grades. I didn't think it was that important. I decided to build a network. And they're not apologetic for it. I'll give you an example of this. It's a classic, classic example of this. We rate all of our clients. So all of our clients, their number, they rated. I know all of them personally. I can tell you something about all of our clients because I know all of them. I interviewed all of them, right? So we rank them the best, the top five ever to come through our program. In the top five, we have a candidate who went to a school ranked in the 90s in the United States, and he went on to join McKinsey in Chicago. And he went to this unranked school, and I remember asking him, why don't you go to Yale? And in a very matter-of-fact way, he just said, well, Michael, I'd never heard of Yale, and I liked the school I went to. It was a good football program. I learned a lot, and I believe that everything worked out at the end. Now, it's not so much what he says, but what he says counts. It's the way he says it and whether he believes it. He's not apologetic. He's not asking for a favor. He's not asking for forgiveness. That's a candidate that I would rate highly. So he's got high grades and high confidence. I want to see someone who's not apologetic. This lady with a 2.1 GPA was like that when I spoke to her. She was not arrogant, but she just in a matter-of-fact way stated, well, I know my grades were low, but there was a choice I made because I went to a pretty good school and I focused on having a full life, taking part in everything. And overall, I'm quite pleased with that because I know that at some point I'll probably do my MBA and I'll correct all of these things. So to me, that was pretty much the main reason we brought into the program. Because when we get her to network and talk to people, if she comes across as someone who says, oh, you know, let me start off by saying that I know my grades were bad. And I'm just looking for a chance to get a favor to prove myself. And I'm very sorry. It won't happen again. That's not the sign of a leader. That's not the mark of a leader. And she wasn't like it, right? A couple of things also stood out. Captain of a rugby team. I mean, come on. If there's one thing in North America that shows elite, it's rugby. For some reason, in North America, if you have a British accent and you play rugby, everyone wants to marry you. Or think that you deserve an honorary PhD. Unfortunately, the rest of the world, if you have a British accent and you play rugby, they probably think you grew up in the poor section of the world. But in North America, it's pretty different. So, she was a rugby captain, debate captain, a lot of strong indicators, right? So, we brought her into the program because we felt that we could position a profile to demonstrate she was good. And this is the key thing. When you have a high GPA, it indicates to people you are strong, smart, you have intellect. But if we could demonstrate that in her discussions with people, we wouldn't have to worry about the GPA because the GPA implies you are smart, but if you can demonstrate it, you don't have to imply anything because you are proving it, right? So we worked on that. Let's talk to you about how we did that. The first thing is that we focused her away from our efforts to plug the GPA gap. Now, this is something most people do. You have a weak GPA, you went to a no-name school, and I mean, I don't mean that in a derogative way. You went to a school that is just got a weak name, state school, or a school that maybe I've never heard of. You will try to plug gaps. You will do, a, this lady wanted to do an MSc in stats. Other people want to do a GMAT. She also wanted to do a GMAT, GRE, short stats courses, and so on. It's a waste of time, if you think about it. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of time to get the degree, uh, you may use up one year to two years of your life getting these things, and then it doesn't help you. It's not going to help her because 
The issue is not that she's not smart. The issue is she has a weak GPA, but she can prove in other ways that she is not someone who is lacking in the intellect department, right? So the first thing I did is I stopped those efforts, which freed up a lot of her time and money as well. It's not free to get an education in the United States. And focused her on a few things. One is, I thought she had a she had the bones of a very good resume. Now, if you're not sure about how to write a dazzling resume, we have examples of it in TCO and so on, right? And you can see when we work with Felix and we work with Jennifer and so on, how much rewriting goes into a resume. I have never seen a resume, and that's not a joke. I'm not trying to sell a service. Firms Consulting does not do resume writing services. I'm not trying to sell a service here, but I've never seen a resume that by itself can be used. We always extensively rewrite resumes. So while her resume was good, we rewrote it. And we rewrite it. And again, there's so many rules we use for writing a resume that I can't go through all of them here. But the point is we go for what is known as a dense factual style of writing. So we had to improve her resume significantly. Not make her do new things. She was very, very talented in my opinion, right? So rewrite it so that her true ability comes out. And this is very important. A lot of people have done good things, but they don't present it in a good way. The second thing is we made her serve as a journal editor of a school. Because when you say editor of an X journal on your resume, you immediately get attention. And if people ask anyone about Barack Obama and his resume, the immediate thing they point out is editor of the Law Review. For some reason, we equate intellect and leadership when you're editing a journal. Editor of a journal or managing editor, if you're just a contributor you're checking manuscripts, it's not the same thing, right? So we we wrote a resume in a better way. We added in elements where we made her take on a role of an editor, which was not difficult to do, by the way. There's so many student-run and university-led journals that it's kind of easy to do it. And stopped her from focusing on quants because it's not necessary. The next thing we did for her is we... Now, this part I had to guess, right? I mean... I know I'm, I'm I'm probably being stereotypical here, but I kind of suspected she may be a lesbian, LGBT, but I wasn't sure. So to kind of bring it out in an unusual way, which for me is usually asking people directly. You know, I'm not really known for my panache and tact at these things. So she is of an LGBT status. And one of the things we did is we indirectly dropped it in a resume. Not a big thing like activists for LGBT causes. No one wants to hire an activist, by the way. So be very wary of that, despite what the media tells you. But we put it in there that she supports LGBT causes. And we also put in a minority status. She is a minority candidate by some definition that the federal government uses. So the LGBT thing is important Consulting firms actively recruit minorities and there are not enough LGBT people in consulting firms. So consulting firms have specialized recruitment channels to go through. It's not any easier. It's not like LGBT candidates have a higher placement rate. No. So don't think that's the case. But initially, when you interact with the firm, they tend to be more receptive, but it doesn't increase your chances of getting in. So we removed a GPA. We never put a GPA on our resume and we never discussed it. It never came up in any of the initial discussions with firms and so on. Because the resume looked so good, people just assumed she must have had a good GPA, right? So we targeted offices that had strong LGBT representation or strong 
support mechanisms within these offices. It's a rule within firms consulting that you only recruit with partners, you only network with partners. Here we changed it because we thought as an LGBT candidate, it's better for her to go through the LGBT teams, build a camaraderie with them, build an alliance so that they support her actively through the process for her to get an interview, right? And when you're going with the LGBT angle, maybe angle sounds bad, I don't mean it in a negative sense because we're not trying to exploit any system here, but you want to target genderless practices because the LGBT teams are not that common in solutions and BTO or even implementation. They're not that established. So we went with the genderless practice, right? So all of this helped to get the interview. But she still needs to pass the interview because getting an interview doesn't mean anything. You have to pass the interview. So to pass the interview, I focused on quants a lot because it's going to come up, right? So when she submitted the application, the first time people ever saw a GPA is when she filled it in online because they asked for it. And I remember she sent me an email from the LGBT coordinator saying, hey, we saw your, your application. We were a bit... Uh, not concerned, they didn't use the word concerned, they said that, you know, your, G L your GPA is a bit low, but we think you're a great person, we think you're going to do a great job, and, you know, just focus on the interviews. Now, that's unofficial. Officially, if the firm's going to interview you, they don't point out any flaws in your resume. They will just say, congratulations, you're going to be interviewing at the firm, we're happy with your accomplishments. So this is unofficial. It's a very important thing you have to understand. Now, in terms of focusing on quants, there are three things. Exhibits. How do you read and interpret an exhibit? It's actually quite hard to do that. Most people are very bad at doing it, which is why most people fail written cases, which is all about interpreting exhibits. We cover that a lot in TCO1 with Felix, Sanjeev, and so on. I'm not going to go into how to read exhibits. That's a different topic. But you have to be able to read exhibits very well. And her cases were quite heavy on exhibits. Surprisingly, or maybe unsurprisingly, given a lower GPA. We do a lot of operations cases when you are weak at quants because operations cases tend to involve calculations around rates, flows, conversion of units, and so on. They tend to be numerically and mathematically more complex. So we spend a lot of time on this. That's the second area of focus. Third is within exhibits, we also spend a lot of time making her analyze ratios, proportions, and then combine or divide or add two numbers to create a new metric. We wanted to get comfortable working with ratios and proportions. Okay, if net income is rising, what does that mean? What could drive the rise in net income? How do we, is it a way to drive a net income by keeping one variable constant? What does that mean? What are the implications of that? We did a lot of that. The fourth thing we did is drills. 50% of our session were drills. What is a drill? A drill is, it's a session with, it's something we do midway through your training with us. In a drill, we do something like six to seven, maybe even eight cases in a session. But all I want to see you do is set up the case. So I'll give you the case, just say, the company's trying to do this, and then you have to go, boom. Without writing, you have no time to write, you just have to speak. Okay, this is the objective function. This is the way I'm going to structure the case. This is the way I'd break down the structure. This is the areas I prioritize, and this is my hypothesis, the data I need to test my hypothesis. You have to do that in three to four minutes. I'm not going to give you time to gather your thoughts. You have to speak very fast. So it's testing your ability to brainstorm rapidly, right? If you can go through the drills, you will survive because the drills are intense. I mean, you're doing eight to nine cases, rapid fire, 
The hardest part for most people is not solving the case, it's structuring the case correctly. So drills means that we'll do one case in operations and then you don't know what's coming next, we'll just shift gear and switch to strategy. We'll shift and move to market entry. We'll shift to a profit case. We'll shift to a reorganization case. We'll shift to a new product launch case. We'll shift to a leadership case and so on. If you can survive the drills, you would be, I would say, in a very good place. Eventually, the low GPA may come out, and we decided to just tackle the elephant in the room, which is basically what you told me. Look, I made the decision consciously that I knew I have the ability to succeed, and I wanted to get the full experience. So I served as editor of a journal, and I did very well there. I was captain of the rugby team, and this is the changes I made. So again, you must never apologize or excuse a low GPA. That's a very important insight. If you make an excuse for a low GPA, you are making an excuse. And there is no excuse for it. That's the point I'm trying to make. You've got to own it, right? You've got to own it, you've got to embrace it, but you can't make an excuse for a low GPA. By the way, the question about a low GPA never came out. So her performance in interviews were very good because she would get feedback from both people in LGBT and people from the recruiting committees and even HR. But basically the feedback was, look, you impress the interviewers, just keep doing what you're doing and you'll do fine. She went to three sets of interviews, one on one day, the other interview was not available, then she did two on another day, and then she did a final round interview, which was two partners in another, and she got the offer. And she joined a very difficult, what many would call an elite office for McKinsey. So the lessons here for you are very simple. And I think this applies to people who don't even have a low GPA. When you are developing your plan to either get into McKinsey, Goldman Sachs, launch a startup, do anything you want in life. My advice is think carefully about the other person, the person whom you're interviewing, and think about what it is they are looking for. Because I think that when most people prepare for interviews, they don't look at what the other person, which in this case McKinsey, is looking for. You need to come up with your own path forward, your own way into things, right? So that's my advice. I would say that if you want to read another inspiring story, you can read the story of Irina from Eastern Europe, who we placed into McKinsey. Difficult story. We break down her steps in many more details. It's something like, I think, an 18-page analysis of what we did for it on our website. You can just type in McKinsey from unemployed to McKinsey or from unemployed to the big three, and you'll find it there. As always, I hope you find the podcast useful. If you find it useful and if you sincerely enjoy what you're hearing, and you find it very helpful, it would be helpful to us. It seems like a small thing. It seems unimportant, but it actually helps us if you would place a review for us on iTunes. But at the end of the day, I hope what you take out of this is that you too can be successful. A lot of times we don't make it in life, not because we're not good, but because we don't get the right advice. And we have over 320 podcasts. We obviously care about you. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so much useful knowledge available for free. So you can imagine what we don't have available, which is some of our you know, more superior, more advanced content. But we do care. We want you to succeed. At the end of the day, I think mankind, society, industry, certainly McKinsey and BCG, are better off if we can level the playing field, as Kevin Coyne says, and make sure that each candidate puts the best of themselves forward so the firms can pick people off the right basis. 
And I hope we've done a little bit of that here. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our insider content is to join the list on marketingsavestheworld.com or firmsconsulting.com. Just remember that Bill Madisoni's memoir and documentary, the 20-episode documentary, and his memoir is going to be released worldwide soon. As far as we know, it is extremely rare for a former McKinsey and BCG partner to publish the memoir. The special pricing that we will offer will only be offered for a limited time. And it will be only offered to people who subscribe to that email list. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.